Well, I'm glad that you're here tonight, and uh, it's a great prayer for us to have as we start into a brand new year here in 2016. And how many of you are motivated? It's 2016. Kind of, sort of, kind of, pseudo-motivated, if you will. Lots of people start out the year motivated. Uh, you realize the gym is full in January. April, maybe not so much. Maybe you start this year, maybe for you as you sit here, you're like, man, I'm motivated to keep my car clean this year because I'm tired of driving around with like Circle K in the back seats. Uh, maybe for you, it's you're motivated to try to say, hey, I want to eat healthier. I want to have a kind of a healthier lifestyle in how I live and how I see the world. Maybe you are sitting here, hey, I'm motivated because I want to have a better grip around my finances. I've just They've kind of run me and the reality is I need to run them. And, and maybe that's where you're kind of sitting there uh, tonight. Maybe you're here and you're saying, hey, I want to have a, I want to be more present in my relationships and my conversations. I don't want to be that guy who's like, yeah, you were talking. I wasn't hearing you. Checking the score. Woo, you won. Okay, so maybe you want to be more present. Maybe whatever that motivation, maybe your motivation is to take less selfies this year. I don't know what your motivation is, but the reality is motivation is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. And this year, as you start in, I hope that you succeed in every resolution that you made. <coughs> hope you get there. Um, but the truth is, many of us kind of burn out in resolutions. And so I kind of gave up starting resolutions. I really wanted to kind of do some reflection on life and, and, and find motivation, because motivation is good. But the reality is you need something deeper to kind of live with significance and meaning and purpose than just motivation. Because motivation has a shelf life to it. Motivation has a tendency to fade, has a tendency to evaporate, if you will. That what happens when January 30 rolls around and you've already like maxed out your quota for selfies? I mean, what do you got to do the rest of the year? You still have a phone. And so what do you do that's bigger than that? Because motivation can last for a project. And that's a good thing. In fact, uh, maybe you've heard of the great diamond mine in Africa. And there were kids that were throwing rocks back in their late 1800s until one guy walked by and said, hey, that's kind of a shiny rock. Can I look at that? And he looked at that, and they end up finding the Kimberley Mine in, South, in uh, Africa there. And maybe you've read about that. That's where from 1871 to about 1914, they just mined the heck out of this diamond mine and kind of made it so it's 1,500 feet across its widest point and went down about 800 feet. And they got just hundreds of thousands of diamonds out of this mine and it was motivated people came from all over the world to get there and it took it from a little hill into this hole in a matter of 45 years or so the truth is then it dried up they got everything out and the motivation for people to come from all over the world kind of evaporated it kind of stopped and the truth is that's motivation Motivation is an inward thing that is motivating you to pursue something, a purpose, and it's good as long as that holds out its purpose and holds out a hope for that. But what we need, friends, is something deeper, something maybe richer in what it can do to move a life. And so I'm going to admit tonight that what I'm going to talk about, what I'd love for us to wrestle with this week and next week as we start 2016 here at Element City Church and how we're launching forward in this and saying, hey, we want to be a church that lives on mission. And I believe mission has got a deeper and richer reach than just motivation. 
And there's a lot of churches that are motivated to do some things. But we want to live as a church that lives on mission. And I want you to live a life that's enfolded into a bigger and deeper and richer mission than maybe just something you can aim your life out or carve out just for yourself. Because you're part of a bigger story. Now, I know there might be some folks here who don't come to church necessarily. Maybe someone dragged you here and it's awesome that you're here. And I hope that tonight you're going to kind of get a peek behind the curtain a little bit of a life that's aimed in alignment with Jesus and what matters most to God and how we begin to try to live this out, that you actually get to see a little peek behind it and understand what motivates people who have trusted and put their faith in Jesus and have aligned their heart because the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you can go there. If you have your phone, all the notes are on you version. You can follow along right there. Uh, the text is in there. Some notes and things I'm going to be sharing are in there too, so you can go back to it throughout the week. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's kind of drill down on something that I want us to experience a little bit tonight and understand maybe a deeper motivation, this mission that we're being unfolded into. And then next week, I want to come back and I want to share something really practical that I hope will be helpful for you. I want to share next week how you can share the gospel, the story of God in this world, on a napkin. That if you were sitting at Starbucks or sitting at Carl's Jr., or maybe like Jack in the Box, I don't know why you'd like that, but uh, if you're there and you had a napkin and, and somehow the conversation went to a spiritual place, how would you know? How could you share God's story and your story? That's what I wanna look at next week. But tonight I wanna look at this mission that we've been enfolded into of what the scriptures call to us as those of us who have trusted Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're not at that place, maybe you're curious about Jesus, maybe you're trying to investigate him, I think that's awesome that you're owning your spiritual journey. And we want to be a church where people can investigate and be curious. You don't have to be part of the convinced in order to be a part of our church family. That you can be wondering about this. Maybe have your own questions, your own doubts, your own search in a way. But for many of us who have put our faith in Jesus, I think what we are going to talk about in the next 20 minutes are something that is very, very dear to God's heart. And I want us to be a church at the end of the day that's moved by mission more than just motivation. Because mission is so much stronger. And mission lasts the long haul. It's greater than motivation. Motivation is for a project, but a mission is for a lifetime. And that's the call throughout the scriptures for us to go and be about. In fact, the reality is Jesus left his church the movement of the church. The church is not a building. It's in fact good because we don't have one, but it's not a building. It's a people. It's a mission. It's a, it's a movement of God in this world. And he left some really clear marching orders for us to say, maybe back to uh, kind of Matthew chapter 28, the very end chapter, the very end verses. He's talking about this idea of, hey, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He goes on, I'll be with you to the ends of the earth, but you are to go. We've been enfolded into this greater mission of what's really going on, enfolded into something of a story and a movement of God in this world. Acts chapter 1, kind of this marching orders. Jesus said, look, hey, you wait here, wait for the Holy Spirit to be delivered, and things are going to change here in the first century, and they are, and then you are to go and be my witnesses. In, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 
that you're to go. You're to be my witness. Be my witness is the idea of a bear witness to what you've seen. Bear witness to what you have known, what you've experienced yourself. Just be a witness, kind of a witness on a stand in a courtroom. Bear witness to what you've seen, what you've known, what you've experienced, which is deeper than just motivation. This is about enfolded into a mission. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul starts off this little section. He's talking about this mission that we have as followers of Jesus. And he says something like this, For the love of Christ compels us. Compels us. See, the bottom line is that we are compared to share the good news with all because God has a love for all. That we have this, we've been enfolded into this mission of God in this world to let people know that life with God is available to them. Yes, even them. Most people, when I talk to people, have a, a sense, a feeling of a relationship with God being kind of this distant foreign thing that's not capable because, well, you don't know my story. You don't know how broken I am. You don't know my past. You don't know how much I've kind of run away from God. There's no way God would accept me. There's no way God's for me. And the truth is, that is the heart of the gospel, that God loves people. God is for people. You can't look at the cross of Jesus and not see the greatest statement of love ever given of a God who was motivated on a mission to show people and to prove to people that they are worth his pursuit because he says so. This is how far I would go to show you and to prove to you how much I love you, how much I'm actually for you. And so many people don't see that. And our passion, our whole, we are compelled, Paul says, by the love of Christ to understand how much we've been loved. That we can't move beyond without sharing that. The interesting word in Greek, the word compelled there, is literally this idea of, in the ancient times, in the first century or so, when someone was in prison, uh, especially you can read about it, Paul himself was in prison, and it was typically two uh, soldiers that were stationed next to him, chained up with him when he was in prison. This idea of compelled is that you are hemmed in. You are backed into a corner. There is no other option for you. That's what Paul is saying. When he got the idea, remember this is the guy who used to persecute the church, and Jesus showed up one day, and everything changed for him. In a moment, he realized, hey, I'm wrong, you're right, and your love is amazing. And it changed everything for the Apostle Paul. You may not be the Apostle Paul. I may not be the Apostle Paul. I may not have his skill sets. You may not have his personality, his demeanor, his drive, but here's what you do have that you and I share in common. You are enfolded into a mission the same as he was. And what he got to understand in that is that he is now compelled. He is hemmed in, he's backed into a corner, and there is no other way for him to respond but to be motivated and to live on mission, to say, hey, this news, this good news, that life with God is available has to get shared that it has to be moved forward with the people that I run into contact with. You may be the only Jesus that the friends around you ever see. 
They may never pick up a Bible. They may, ne may never make it through the doors of a church. And friend, your life is to put that on display, to say, hey, God's love compels me. And God's love pulls me out of every ditch that I put my life in when I make a bad decision. And God's love is there to pick me up and move me forward. And God's love is there to bless me and to move me forward in my next steps of following after him in every single season of life. God has you on a mission to share that with the people around you. In fact, can I just read to you what Paul says here? We'll just read it in a big chunk. Here's what he says, verse 14. For Christ's love compels me, compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Hey, my life is over, and I've been raised again to live for this risen Savior that saved me. He goes on. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in that way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry, the mission, if you will, of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. As, uh, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's this powerful imagery that Paul is trying to get the early church then and the church today to say, look, don't just live motivated by God's love when you feel like it. You've been enfolded into a mission. And this mission is you are now sent out and you are compelled. So part of it starts with understanding how much God loves you. For some of you, you really wrestle with that. You have a sense or a feeling, something either from your experience growing up that you feel like, hey, I'm gonna do one more wrong thing and God's just going to say, that's enough. I've had it. And he's going to walk out on you. And can I implore you tonight to read the New Testament and to understand what Paul says in Romans 8. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. Nothing. No matter how many bad decisions or poor choices that you make. God's love is still there in the shadows with you to pull you forward. He longs for you to be aligned with him, to make less of those, to be working in union with his Holy Spirit, to, to guide you to be more and more who he's created and rescued you to be. But you are called to live on mission no matter what because his love reaches you no matter what that as we're unfolded into this mission, we, we begin to understand that everybody matters to God. There has never been a person born on this planet who didn't matter to God. I know your office complex. I know the people you work with. There are some of them that you go, really, God, they matter to you? I know you feel that way. And you're frustrated. I know at school or at work. And I know you might question that at times. But here's the truth. God loves even them because God loves even you and even me. God loves people. 
and he longs for people to come back and to be reconciled relationally with him, to come home, if you will. We don't change people through protest. We change people through loving them well. And when we love people well, they're opened up to maybe a different story than what they've perceived or thought of or conceived on their own. That God can't be for me. God can't love me. Yeah, God is for you. And God can love even you. Because God loves even me. He just loves that well. And so we go on a mission to say, hey, we want to see people come to know Jesus the way we do. You are not just a nurse. You are a nurse with God's heart and God's hope and God's message. You are not just a carpenter. You're a carpenter with God's hands and his blueprints and his message. You're not just a teacher. You're a teacher with God's mind and his message of hope and love available to people. You're not just your occupation. You are God's rescued one who happens to have an occupation. And so the call for us, what Paul is saying is, look, Jesus needs to be, this love of God needs to compel you to share that with other people. And I know this is where it gets a little tough because this is where churches who are just motivated to love, just love, but never really share a story behind what motivates and what their mission they're on. And, and the calling for us is to share and to be motivated by love, but to say, hey, we live on a mission of love. Here's why we do what we do. It's because we're loved. We've been rescued. And here's the truth. Rescued people rescue people. And so the call for us is to say more than just do actions, but to actually have conversations, to actually let God open up conversations and to step into those, which the challenging question for us is, well, if God's going to get his message out with or without me, why, don't, why do I have to put myself out there? Why, why do I have to like, fear rejection? Why do I have to, to do this? And maybe the stronger question I would have you wrestle with is simply this. As you think about evangelism for your own life, the question to wrestle with, is Jesus the influencer of your life or simply an accessory to your life? Because if Jesus is truly the influencer of your life, then like Paul, you are compelled. You are to live this life on mission to say, hey, it's not just about what I can carve out and what I can do. I'm to share. Now, you don't have to be weird about it. Like, I'm not asking you to go buy a bullhorn at you know Home Depot and then tomorrow in the office, like at the, the snack place, be like, hey, I love Jesus. Let me turn it on. I love Jesus. It's awesome. No, look, that's kind of weird. Um, you don't have to be like, hey, at the break room and they have cupcakes and have a conversation with people like, hey, these are really sweet. You know what else is sweet? Jesus. Let me tell you about them. Look, don't be weird about it, okay? I think Timothy Keller says it really well. He says, be public about your faith simply means that you're not hiding the wellspring of your life. You're not hiding who you truly are. You're not trying to mute that part of your life. 
you're just letting that part be a natural part of how you live and how you interact and how you have conversation with people. You're not trying to target people like a project. You're just having normal conversations and you're listening to normal conversations. And as things and conversations go certain ways, you're allowed to share your story a little bit of how you found hope as you face similar situations or similar circumstances. Jesus' last command needs to stay our first priority. You go and make disciples. And his last command needs to stay our first priority. And when we try to mute it, or we try to bury it, or we try to step aside from it, we try to say, God, that's, that's too much. It's going to cost me my reputation a little bit. If we get so concerned about building a good reputation, but we don't have any concern about the Great Commission, then friends, we're at a weird place as a follower of Jesus. And I think Paul would say that. I'm compelled by the love of Christ to share. And I'm compelled for a few reasons, he goes on. I'm compelled because I'm convinced that we live as people of conviction. Just says, I have, I have this conviction of faith that fuels me, that, that pulls me and says, you know, this is not just fairy tales. This isn't just something made up and, and preserved throughout history. This is real deal. And it's really changed me. And I live as a person of conviction. Isn't that what Paul said? The love of Christ compels me because I'm convinced that Jesus died for all because all are loved by him. And therefore, I've got to tell people about it. I've got to give them an answer to the hope that I have, is what he writes in Colossians. He's compelled by conviction. He's compelled by clarity of sight, he goes on. I don't see people in a worldly perspective anymore. See, we see people and we rank them. That's what we do. In, in the worldly way of approaching life, we see people and we rank them. We say, okay, you're good enough to hang out with, you're not. And we rank people. Let's be honest. We do it. And in this moment, Paul's pushing back against that in you and in me to say, no, no, no. People aren't categorized anymore. Sure. Okay. We'll put them in a category. Loved by God. Go do it. That's the challenge. That's the invitation for us as people who live a life on mission is to see people clearly how God sees them. They are loved by the creator of the, of the heavens and the earth. And if they are loved by the creator of the heavens and the earth, then why aren't they loved by me? That's the question that you have to wrestle with. Because as a follower of Jesus, you begin to say, I have to be compelled. I live for something greater than just a motivation. I live compelled and moved. I'm compelled because I'm convinced. I'm compelled because of the clarity that I see and I'm compelled by a commitment. Paul goes on. He says, you are now ambassadors for Christ. Do you know what an ambassador does? They represent the will and the interest of the person that sent them. That's why they go to a foreign country and they say, okay, I'm the ambassador from the United States. So therefore, the best interest in the will and, and the ways of the United States want to be represented here. I don't represent my own opinion. I represent who sent me. And what Paul is saying is you are now ambassadors of Christ. You are sent as though God were making his appeal through you. Whose appeal? His appeal. Not your appeal. 
That's why you're able to be compelled because this isn't just about me trying to create something and me trying to, to figure out what to say. God's given us things to say. He's given us ways to live to show people that God is actually a God who loves them and who is for them and who desires good for them and desires for them to come home and to be reconciled with him in relationship. And the bottom line is rescued people, which you are, rescued people. Rescued people rescue people. That's why we do church. It isn't because we're motivated to have a good time. That might be for a few weeks, but we wanna be a church that lives on mission, that says people matter to God. The church is not a, a location with an address. It's a family with a mission. We're to live on mission. The church is not called to be a cruise ship. We're a battleship that's in the war of the world around us. And we are here to let people know who are struggling there is hope and there is a way home. We're a hospital for the hurting. We are a life-saving station. And we need to always remember, rescued people rescue people. There's life-saving stations, a short story, all up and down the coastal region who had a ragtag group of people who would go out as ships would encounter the rocks close to the coast there and people would have to jump overboard and they'd have to swim for it. People would go out and they would rescue them. They'd bring them back to this rustic life-saving station, kind of get them warm, get them some food, get them helped back on their feet, so to speak. And after time, people were into this. It was a lot of work, it was, it was hard work. But over time, people started looking at this life-saving station, realizing it's kind of rustic. It's kind of, maybe we could try to clean it up a little bit. And so they put more, better furniture in there, better bedding. They had different things. They began to organize some social get-togethers for people who had been rescued before. And all of a sudden, people would come back. And ships were still wrecking off the coast, but people actually just spent more time hanging out with the people that they had already known. And so... After a while, some people got motivated and said, look, we're a life-saving station. That's what we're about. And so they left that group and they went and started a new life-saving station just up the coast a bit. And then the progression kind of happened for them. And the truth is, church can very easily become that. A life-saving station that begins and then fades into a some kind of social club. And friends, I'm here to remind us myself included. We are rescued people. And rescued people rescue people. We have a million plus people in this city who don't know God. Who God loves. They're in the category. Loved by God. They don't even know it yet. And God's looking for a group of people who say, we love the heart of this city. No, we love people who aren't here yet. And we want to go love them in a way that they might be captured by a greater story than just the story they feel surrounded by or swallowed up by. That there's a greater story of hope that's available to them. And so the challenge for us going into 2016, I want to invite you on a journey that will challenge you. It will stretch us. But it's the journey that we're compelled to do.
So here's what it looks like. Real simple. If I could break it down to three simple things. Here's my challenge, my invitation to you. And we're going to move here in a minute to communion. And uh, if you're new to Elements, we kind of do this most every week and give you an opportunity to kind of recognize that, um, that you are a rescued one. To recognize that it's Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection that made a way for you to be a rescued one. And now as a rescued one, you're invited. In fact, you're enlisted into a mission that hopefully compels you to now say that the people around me, the ones I love, the ones I like, the ones I tolerate, they're in a category loved by God. And my hope is that they would come to realize how much they're loved by God. So the three things are simply this, the challenge for you this week, or for this year really, is to begin praying for the people around you. And maybe you visit a coffee shop or a store often. Can I just encourage you to go in the same line every single time? And just begin praying for that person who's helping you or maybe to a restaurant and praying for the waiter or the waitress that helps you that you'd look for them maybe in a way that's more specific, in a way that's kind of saying, hey, this year I'm focused on them. And I'm gonna get to know their name, I'm gonna get to know their story, and I'm praying for them. And that you would love them well, which means you would tip big in a restaurant. Don't be a grumpy, stingy Christian. Um, Tip big, like over the top big, to the point that they go, why in the world does this person keep coming here and tipping me this big? they're already married, okay? So that they could go to a bigger story to begin to see that I'm not here doing that because of this. I have an interest in your life because you're loved by God and that you would love well and that you would then turn and invest in that relationship, that friendship, that neighbor, whoever that may be in your workplace and that eventually you would invite them. Invite them to do something with you. Invite them maybe here to elements. You would invite them to a church to invite them some capacity to begin to be around people who are rescued. Because rescued people rescue people. And that you would give them a heart and an openness to your life that would allow them to ask questions. That you would ask them questions and allow the Holy Spirit to steer conversations to go in a way that maybe goes to a spiritual level sometimes. And then next week, I want to walk us through how you would then share the good news of Christ, his story and your story, in that moment when it comes. So that's the invitation for us. And I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to move on. And uh, we're going to sing a couple worship songs here in a minute. And I want you to give your heart to it. But as you sing, I want you to pray. Begin to pray, God, would you show me one or two people that are in my sphere of influence, that I cross paths with all the time, that you want me praying for. Just ask for names and begin to pray for them, to love them well this year, to invest and to invite. If you ever want to invite someone here, a real simple way to do it is if you just text the word invite to our phone number, we'll actually send you a text that has a link in a little video and like you could use that as a simple way to introduce people to who we are. So it's a real simple tool that we want to give you. So you just text the word invite to our phone number, uh, 520-300-9001. You'll get something back and then you can use that to text to somebody.
So can I just pray for us as a congregation, as a community, that uh, as a group of rescued ones, that we would make a concerted effort this year to have our hearts aligned to say, hey, we're rescued people, and we want to be on a mission to rescue people. So Father, I pray and ask for your Spirit's power this year that um, you would real specifically maybe give us two or three names of people that they're already in a category for you loved and that you long for them to come home to be reconciled and to be uh, find faith in Jesus to begin to walk out their faith journey with you and so Father would you allow your spirit to begin to show us who that might be I know it's easy sometimes the longer we're Christians to have less and less people that you're actually searching for in our sphere of influence or in our network or in the paths that we cross. So would you maybe open up our horizons that we might see some people this year? I pray that you'd make us a church that lives on mission, not by motivation, but we're compelled by the love of Christ. We're invited to see people clearly. We're invited to live with a greater commitment to say we search after you, to know you. Would you take us to places that maybe we're not comfortable going? Would you help stretch us to that? As we remember you, Jesus, your life, your death, your resurrection. Father, as we take a moment to remember you in communion, Jesus, would you help us to remember that we're rescued ones? Grateful for that. We didn't choose that. You chose us first. We didn't love you first. You loved us first. We didn't pursue you first. You pursued us first. You came to the shipwreck of our life and you rescued us. We're rescued ones. And would you infuse us with a passion to want to see others rescued by you? We ask that in Jesus' name.